Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode 12. I am your host, Delton, and with me today is my yellow player, like usual, Haley. Hello there. So today, like I said, episode 12. It's kind of crazy. I feel like every episode I say it's crazy, but it's been crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. Pretty, pretty much at this point, yes. Crazy but anyway, for board games. Exactly. So today, for any of you just tuning in for the first time, Malthouse Games Podcast is a tabletop podcast. We talk about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, anything like that. We've been mostly focused on board games lately, and that's usually where we'll stay, but we will diverge to the other realms of tabletop. And random things like psychics and drinking wine and just surviving marriage. Basically, that's our entire agenda on this podcast. All that good stuff. In Malthouse Games fashion, we always drink during our podcasts, preferably beer. However, today is a little bit different. Today, we are drinking wine. More specifically, we are drinking honeymead that I made two years ago. I made with a professor. We had a whole bunch of people making large, large quantities of mead. So mead is basically honey, water, and some yeast, and it makes wine. This one is flavored with strawberries. I put strawberries in the secondary fermentation, for those of you who homebrew, if you do not. After the wine ferments, you move it over to let it clarify. I added in strawberries to give it more flavor and make it a little more, you know, crazy. And by crazy, he means make it explode. Yes, it literally exploded to the ceiling. Twice. The, what happened is the strawberries, with it, how much juice was in them, diluted the wine down to the point that the yeast kicked back in and fermented again. So it ate more of the sugar, made more alcohol, but also projectile vomited onto our ceiling. And I just got that cleaned up like a month ago. <laughs> like he cleaned it up, but the stain is still on the ceiling. And so anyone who goes to use our guest bathroom, if they look in the ceiling, they're going to see like red stains. So it looks like blood or what used to be blood, but nope, it's actually just strawberry wine. Woo! But it is very good. It comes in at about 13%. That's before the second fermentation. I'm estimating probably stayed around 13% though, because it lost sugar with the dilution of adding extra like liquid and then whatever. In my brain, it all makes sense. Anyway, it's very good. Uh, the strawberry is the worst of the flavors. We had a blackberry, a mulberry, a regular, and a strawberry. We never did make that one batch for Lack. You know, we got mulberries from his house that last time. We still have to make him his next batch. Luckily, they're good in the freezer, and that's where you're supposed to keep them before you use them, so we just have to get some honey. Sorry, Lack, it's been a year. We don't need any this year so far. Yeah, he's going to listen to this and be like, Damn them, Brax! That's a pretty good impression. He had the fist and everything. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. I'm just not wearing black right now. I'm wearing the exact opposite, white and yellow. See him, Delton, wearing white. So last night, I took my glasses off and I'm laying in bed. And Delton walks into the room and I was like, why is it Delton wearing pants? But then I realized he's actually wearing white shorts. And keep in mind, I don't have my glasses on. Then I realized, did I really think that he was pale enough that the color white was the color of his legs? I mean. If you ever see my legs, especially above the knee, I am very pasty. I am like the good China pasty. But I didn't even question that you were just pure white in your legs. You just knew it as a fact. I was like, oh, why is he wearing... Like, that's the thing, is that 
not why is Delton pure white, but why isn't Delton wearing pants? But he was wearing pants. I was wearing pants. Ugh. Ugh, I'm so pasty. I need a tan, except I don't tan, I burn. I just turn red, and then I peel, and then I'm white again, and it's terrible. We have this picture, Delton and I went uh, floating the, was it Illinois River? Illinois River, yes. Illinois River. So we went to a, con- it was like a concert where you camp out for three days, and you go float the river. Well, there's a picture, it's one of my favorites, there's like 15 people, and they're all wearing bikinis, the girls are, or the guys are wearing shorts and no shirts. And then you see Delton and I. Delton and I are both wearing long pants, our swimsuits, a button-up shirt, a hat, sunglasses, and SPF 100 sunscreen. Oh, yes. we. I looked like a football coach that was playing outside in 20-degree weather. It was ridiculous. And I looked like a 12-year-old boy going fishing. The only sunburn that Haley got was where the long pant legs came up just slightly to show her sock, like, to show her skin before her sock. It was like a quarter of an inch strip over the top of her ankle that got sunburned, and that's it. And I was wearing sunscreen there, in my defense. I put sunscreen everywhere. It's just that's the only spot that still reached the sun. And this was also in September, which is when the sun is less abrasive as it was when I went in July. And in July, I did the same thing. It's just that my nose got burned from the reflection off the water because I burn, like, so friggin' easy. It's a good thing we don't have children, or else they would just burn to death just walking outside. It would be horrible. I mean, I burned to death walking outside, so yes. Anything. Anything outside. I'm going to stay inside and play board games. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we have the podcast. This is why we have the podcast for sure. So lately, we haven't been doing too much crazy things. Um, We've been playing some games and working on some prototypes a little bit of our games. I've been editing like normal. I will say, if you haven't seen it yet, we started putting out videos finally. I made a session review for Love Letter. We call them session reviews because there won't be any review over five minutes long, including intro and outro. That way, you can watch multiple in a session. So I get that idea, since we're Malt House Games, so malt that makes beer, you know. There is also a session brew, and people call them session beers, and it's where you can drink multiple in a session. So that's where the idea came from. If you wanted to watch reviews, you watch three or four, and you've only spent 20 minutes, versus a lot of reviews, which end up going 15 to 20 minutes for one game. I just want to hit some high points and low points. Say, I like this, I like this, this is what happens, this is what happens. Show you some funny clips, hopefully, and make it entertaining. So we have that one out for Love Letter now. Plus, there's cats in the video. There is Steve in that video. And then I have an unboxing for Mechs vs. Minions from Riot Games. I got that in recently. We haven't got to play it yet, sadly. But the unboxing video is up if you want to see what I'm going to call the highest quality production value of any game. It's just astronomically high. Wasn't it like 19 pounds, too? The shipping weight was 19 pounds. It weighed more in the box than all of my Rising Sun stuff did being shipped. It was, I think my Rising Sun stuff was like 16 or 17 pounds, and this one game is 19. Given there is a lot of storage plastic, but it's all custom molded, custom designed. It's just a a really, really high quality production. So I have that video up. I also have an unboxing of all the Rising Sun Kickstarter stuff, aside from the playmat. And then by the time this comes out, I'll also have an unboxing of Felicity, the Cat in the Sack, as well as one other game that Haley doesn't know we're getting yet, because I bought it for her from Cool Stuff because it was really cheap. Does it have anything to do with cats? Maybe. I knew it. I don't know that I'll do a video of it because it might take like 10 seconds. (laughs) We have to do like 15 rounds of it then. Just do a playthrough. Like it can be our first like play video and it's just us playing that. Yeah. 
That would be pretty fun, too. What did you get me? You'll see when it comes in. It'll be here in like a week. Boo! Right. But anyway, so we've been playing some good games, playing with Brian, played some with Allison, played some with some other friends. I took a trip to Kansas City. I highly recommend if you ever go to Kansas City, go to Tabletop Games and Hobby. Awesome shop. They've got a cat in the store that just lounges around and sleeps on the counters. And then they have a huge playroom. And it was a really cool shop, really great staff. And it was right next to this big computer store, which was pretty awesome as well. They had good prices, surprisingly. But yeah, so if you ever check out Kansas City, I highly recommend that store for sure. But aside from all that, we should probably talk about the reason we're really drinking wine today. Because I'm a recovering Catholic? Not quite. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... It's a game. So today, the game we're going to be discussing is Viticulture. So this is a game from Stonemeyer Games. It is designed by Jamie Stegmeyer, Alan Stone, and Morton Monrad Paterson. I think it's Paterson. It might be Paterson. The uh, the font's kind of hard to read. Let me see. Yep, Paterson. And then it's illustrated by Beth Sobel. And the graphic design is not notated. I'm guessing that's also Beth Sobel. I'm really not sure, but I think it is her. But this is Viticulture Essential Edition, which Haley paid for part of for our anniversary. Three years going strong. Yeah, we had our three-year anniversary in March. And so this was last month by the time this podcast comes out. Yep, it'll be last month on the 13th. And uh, we went to a game shop in a nearby town called Yukon. It's called Game Face. Had never been, wanted to check it out. And I, want, I always like to pick something up when I go to a local shop, especially the first time. And so I thought, well, let's just pick up a game. And they had Viticulture Essential Edition, which I've been eyeballing forever. So I thought, why not? Let's pick it up. It didn't take a lot of work for Delton to convince me to get this game because the theme is wine. It is. So that is where the drinking wine comes into play is Viticulture is all about working a vineyard in Italy. And so for a quick overview of how the game plays, you have a mama and a papa, which dictate your starting goods. And there's a little board in front of you that is your vineyard. Then there's a larger board between all the players that has the different actions you select. So it is a worker placement game. Somebody will go first. They will pick if they start basically earlier in the morning or later in the morning. Each one of those has a benefit. You then take turns back and forth picking an action on the board. Whether you're building trellises or irrigation systems for your fields, you can build a tasting house to better help guests that come by. You can build cellars, uh, upgrade, I guess, in your cellars to be able to hold older wines. And you can just do things like that, take some money. You can plant vines. You can draw more cards, like you're going to the market to buy some vines. And that's all in the spring phase. And then in the fall phase, you draw some cards. Then in the winter, you take some more actions, which are like harvesting your vines. You can draw some other cards. There's just different things you can do on the board, but essentially you're going to put vines in your fields. You're going to harvest the grapes. You're going to turn those grapes to your crush pad where you would squish all the juice out. And then you take that juice and you turn it into wine and you make this little system going round and round of producing wines, harvesting grapes, producing more wines, planting some vines down. And you kind of do that, play with some cards and make some points. And I mean, it really is that simple of a game to describe. There's not a lot to it in terms of descriptors. When you sit down to play it, there is a little bit at first. But all in all, it's really not that bad. It's a little heftier 
a little hefty, I guess, for a beginner. But for a seasoned gamer, it's not that bad at all. But it's a very fun game. Wine. Yes, wine, Haley. I really like the game. I think, well, we, we got this game on a Saturday. And I think within the first two days, we had already played it three times. I think so. Like, it's a, it's a great little worker placement game. And those are, those are my favorites. I really like playing the long game whenever I play games. And so you, like, I'll play for the first, like, couple rounds or so. And then uh, I'm a big fan of building up and getting lots of points near the end, which is sometimes good because I surprise everybody. Nobody sees me as a threat. And at the very end of the game, I come out on top. But it can also be bad if somebody gets to the points first before my long-term goal kind of plays out. But I feel like with uh, Viticulture, there's so many ways you can meet your goals. You have some short-term goals. You have some long-term goals to get points. And so depending on your strategy, there's still multiple ways that you can win. Yeah, there really are. Uh, I mean, I feel like the main way that you're going to win that game is making wine and selling it. So in the game, you can fulfill orders, which is if you've got a a six-year-old red wine and a five-year-old white wine, there could be an order for that. You fulfill it, you get points. Nice and simple. One thing I like about the game is the first person to hit the 20-point mark triggers the end, which means at the end of that turn, the game's over. And so it can be very fast, actually, which is really nice. But I feel like making wine is the main strategy. However, you can get plenty of points in many other ways. It just depends on the cards that you've drawn and kind of how you go after it. And I feel like you could make almost anything work in that game. Wasn't it like the second game you only fulfilled like two wine orders, but you fulfilled your points through the uh, winter cards? I believe so. You have winter visitors and, and spring visitors. And those are the ones, no, sorry, summer visitors, winter and summer visitors. And those are the ones that I got a lot of points from, as well as I think it was selling my wine. I think I sold my wine to get some money and used money for stuff too, but there's a lot of way to get ways to get points. Obviously, wine, like I said, is the biggest way to get points. But it's just a, you know, it's kind of neat that you have multiple options, even though it looks like you've only got one way you can go. So that's one complaint people have with Agricola. In Agricola, you have to build so many horses, so many pigs, you know, have so many crops, have so much of this. You, if you have too much of anything, you're not getting anything. It's got detrimental returns at that point, right? Or diminished returns, that's the term. Um, in this game, it's not really that way. You could just take one method and run with it, but you can also diversify or you can use a different method than everybody else. And so that's a really nice aspect of it is you get to choose what you get to do. You can spread out your points however you want. And it's just kind of nice that there's multiple strategies to go after, which is really good. So I talked about my main strategy, which is, you know, collect a lot of orders to fill and kind of hit. What I like to do is I like to collect wine as the game goes on. And then maybe my fifth or sixth round, I will just make or fulfill maybe four or five orders as fast as I can. So I like to build up wine after a long time, not let people see what it really working for, and then fill it up near the end. So what do you like to do, Delton? So I like trying to take an order that I have early and fulfill it as quickly as possible, and then immediately get another order and try to work toward it. In doing that, I find that I can focus a little more. And I can say, okay, I need a three-year-old white, a six-year-old blush, and you know, a two-year-old red. I'm just going to focus on that because I had a problem when I tried to just store up for the end. I never had what I needed quite. Like, I was missing something. So I found if I could make the grapes, 
and store those grapes in my crush pad, then get the order card, and then try to move the grapes over into wines after, after I know what I'm going for, I found it made more sense for me and my strategy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And here's the thing. Though we both have different strategies, both of us have one. Yes, we have. You twice, once by a huge margin, but yes. I won three times because I beat Brian, too. Yeah, I guess that's true. You did win when Brian played. Yeah, boy. It's really hard because in this game, it's one of the worker placement games where you have to hire more workers. And so it gets difficult because if you do not hire workers fairly quickly, you will start to get very far behind. And so that's one of the things in the game that I won. I focused workers. I took two turns and only made workers. Got the money, made the workers, got the money, made the workers. And then I was able to continue on quicker than Haley was to come out on top. Yeah, that's the one time that I didn't go for all of my workers. And that's the time that Delton won. But I think that's why I win Agricola all the time, too. Just saying I am undefeated in Agricola. Woot. But I think that's why I win Agricola because I'm so quick to get my, to build my family. Because if I build my family quicker, yeah, I don't get as many resources right off the bat. But as the game goes on, I have more opportunity to gain, to have more turns. Yeah, exactly. You get more actions. I mean, that's the whole, you know, worker placement. You want to take an action by placing a worker. If you have more workers, you can place more workers to get more actions. So it makes sense for sure. It's like investing in your 401k. No one wants to do it right now, but it's worth it in the long run. That's pretty much how it goes. You always have something better you want to do, but you really need to do this one thing. Yeah. That's exactly how it is. One thing I really like about this game, so I said that everybody picks, uh, for starting with one player, everyone will pick who gets to get up earliest and take the first turn. And then the second and the third, it determines the order. There's a little slots of one through six. If you pick the first one, you get nothing as a bonus. If you pick the second one, I think you get a green vine card as a bonus. And like the third is an order card, and there's different rewards down to the sixth, which is a bonus worker for the turn. I really enjoy that aspect because it lets you kind of vie over where you go. I mean, hardly at any time does somebody take that first player spot unless it is necessary that they take it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the very, I think the only time I've ever taken it was the very last game when I was playing you and Brian. And that was like the last half of the game because the last half of the game, basically I didn't need anything in the summer round. And so I just took the first spot as much as possible. And I think that's what really helped me to win the game because near the end, I didn't need anything in the spring. And so I spent all my time in, was it fall? I Winter. Winter. So all my time in winter, uh, fulfilling orders. And so if I took that first player spot, then that gives me two chances to fill orders before anybody else gets there. Yeah, that's very true. And it just really makes it nice. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about with this game, a lot of games have scaling issues to where they work really well with two players and three, but not five. Or they work really well at four and five, but not three. And this is a big problem. I feel like this game does a very good job at scaling because it's got each action spot has three spots to place a worker. However, in a two-player game, only the first spot is available. In a three- and four-player game, the first and second spot are available. Now, the second one contains a bonus. If you take that spot, and you can take it before the first spot, it gives you some sort of bonus. So if you're planting vines, it lets you plant another. If you're taking a summer visitor card, it lets you take two. And so that's kind of a really nice feature that it gives that bonus. And then from five to six players, it has all three spots unlocked. So it's nice that you can take the bonus if you're there first, or if you don't need it, 
you can still take it just to screw over some other opponent if you know that they're going to need that. But it's nice that it scales in that regard. That way it's not just super open. It still feels tight at all player counts. And it makes sure that you're not always getting to do exactly what you want, which is something that I feel like is necessary in a worker placement. In Agricola, if somebody takes food, you're almost completely out of the option of food. But it does scale decently. But I feel like this game just does scale really well. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So speaking of scaling, this is something that I think is very important for a game to be able to do. I play with a lot of player counts, mostly just me and Haley at two. But we also play with our friend Brian at three. We play with Allison at three as well. Sometimes we get them together, so we play at four. And here and there, we play at five. But it's not very often that we play at five. So we don't really want a game that works at five, but sucks at two players or three. And that's something we have to consider when we buy a game is, are we A, are we going to get to play it? Because we play two and three majority of the time. Sorry, two majority of the time. Three every once in a while. So we have to consider that when we play or when we purchase a game. Yeah, we did not consider that. We bought Twilight Imperium four years ago. I considered it. I just thought it would be easier than that. <laughs> we, so Delton bought that game right when we got together, probably about six months into our relationship. I remember he said it was on sale for $75 and it was normally like a $110 game. And so he bought it. And in the past four and a half years, we have played it exactly one time. And I won. So I guess the purchase was worth it after all. It was a good one. I want to play it again. And I'm hoping I'll get to sometime. It's just really hard when you, you know, people don't want to sit down for six hours. Or even if they offer it, sometimes you don't want to sit down for six hours. Because I know Allison says she wants to play it if we play it again. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, I want to play it. But at the same time, I think if I do, I'm going to want like five people. Because I don't want to just do it at three again. I want to play it at the full, like the full six if I can, or five. Brian, Allison, Matt, Cass, me, you. Six people. Yes, we could do that. That would be a good idea. Does it hold six people? I believe so, or it holds five. So, in one of those capacities, yes, we could do something like that. That would be amazing. That would be good. But the thing with that game is it doesn't even hold two players. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the scaling aspect. So, when a game doesn't scale well, what it does is provide a mediocre experience for the player at the counts in which it does not perform as well. So, a lot of people consider a lot of games to not work with that many players. As I said before, that's why I like Viticulture so much is because it seems to work really well with each player count. It seems like the scaling, given I have not played past three, it seems like the scaling is just very well done. Everything moves fairly quickly. The game's still nice and short. Um, I don't think it would take that long, but I just like that it does a good job providing new things the more players that you have. There are some games that don't scale very well. So in terms of a lot of the bigger games, so Rising Sun, we've played, we talked about last episode, that has been fun with three players. I do think it's more fun with the five that we played. I think that that's a better player count for it. I'd like to play six, but I do think five was better. Three's still good, though, which is good for us. And there's a lot of games like that. Uh, the games that maybe the map's too big and there's not a variant for a lower player count where the map shrinks. 
I know that we played Concordia for the first time at Edmund Unplugged, one of our kind of board game cafes here in town. And we just played the base game with the full Europe map. And it was a really good game, and it was really neat. Uh, Haley trounced me, basically, because I'd underestimated some of the cards. But it was a good game. You underestimated my ability. Well, maybe. But it was a good game, but the board could have been tighter. It could have been more interactive between us. And I know for a fact that they've put out other boards that are more directed towards smaller player count. So that's a good way to address it, but at the same time, making someone buy a game and then have to buy an expansion board just to make it a little more balanced with those players kind of sucks. But I do understand it, and I appreciate that. But that's one thing, like I said, I like about Viticulture. It seems to scale well. You don't change the board. You don't change any of that. Now, given I don't have the Tuscany Essential Edition expansion, I would like that sometime because everyone says it's good, and that might change things up a little bit, but we'll have to just see in the future. But is there a game you can think of that doesn't scale very well? I think Sentry Golem is one that I've had the most complaints about since we've been playing it with a bigger crowd of people. What about it? It seems like the bigger crowd of people that we play it with, uh, somebody gets left out and feels frustrated while another person wins, which that happens in all games, of course. Someone's going to win and other people might not get as far, but it seems like the times that we've played it with at least three people, so not just me and you, it seems like somebody has made the comment that someone else has won the game before they even felt like they were close to winning. Yeah, I could see that. They get that engine up and running so much faster. Sometimes it's just because they beat them to the cards. Um, Which, in that game, I have my own complaints with that game at two-player even. But I do understand that at a higher player count, one person just feels like they could never get going, and then everybody else just takes off and leaves them, which is a very frustrating position to be in. Right, so it seems like they felt like maybe six or seven minutes into the game, which the game only takes 15 to 20 minutes anyway. But it seems like when they're only a few minutes into the game, they can already tell, oh, I'm not going to win because these other three people already have their engine built. Yeah, no, that's a definitely a good criticism of that game and a lot of games that kind of function in that, in that way. I feel like Splendor has that as well. But I'm undefeated in Splendor. Splendor? Splendor. I also don't like Splendor very much, but, you know, I mean, I think it's a decent game. It's just not for me. But anyway, when it comes to scaling games, yeah, Century... I could definitely see that ex- that uh, complaint about it. I feel like kind of the same thing with Puerto Rico. Not the same as Century, but I feel like scaling, I feel like Puerto Rico is better with more people. We have played it two-player with a variant. We've played it three-player, but I think the four-player was by far the best. And I don't know if it's because more people taking more actions and it's everybody has their own thing they're trying to do. Therefore, the gameplay is going to change. I don't know. I really enjoyed the four-player more than the two and three. I agree. Not that the two-player wasn't fun, because we've played it multiple times, just us two. But I think the four-player was definitely best. And by the way, I keep saying that I'm undefeated in these games, when really Twilight Imperium I've won once, because we played it once. Yep. But then things like Agricola, just saying I have won like three times. Yeah. Three of our like four plays or something? No, I won all of them. Haley wins a lot of games because she makes people underestimate her. Like she was saying before, oh, she's not a threat. And then at the end, she just goes... and vomits points onto the board. That's basically how she plays. That's how I play in real life, too. I don't look like a threat, but that is dangerous. Well, okay. Anyway. I will fight you. But games do need to scale well. I think this is a very important thing for us because, like I said, we play two-player. Like, I recently traded for Keyflower, 
and love the game. We've only played it once, but I love it. And I feel like it's a game that will scale well. I have no complaints or not complaints. I have no doubts that that game will scale very well with the way it functions. I'm interested to see how photosynthesis plays out. Because as a two-player, there's plenty of room on the board to put your trees wherever you want to. But I'm really interested to see how challenging it gets when you have four people on the board trying to put their trees in the center spots. Yeah, that's going to be a much, much different game with four people. And that is going to be really fun. We'll have to try to put that together soon. But games like that, it still works two-player. It still feels good as two-player. But I bet we're going to play four and go, oh, this is better. Because there's not anything that changes in the two-player game, really. I mean, all they do is alter some of the points to where you don't have the higher point values. And I didn't show that to you, I don't think. But in a four-player game, you've got higher amounts of points you can get. Or in a two-player game, it's lower. So they scale the points, but they don't scale the board or the way the sun works or how many trees you have or anything like that. That makes sense. I want to play that again. We've only played it, what, twice? I thought once. Oh, maybe just once. We do need to play it. I want to show it to Brian next time and Allison. I think Allison might like it. (gasps) Allison on Thursday! Oh my god, you're yelling in the microphone at this point. Sorry, I got excited. Uh Uh-huh. But anyway, that is something we care about is scaling. We think it's important. We think designers need to put it into their games. It's just kind of essential that you can play it with multiple counts. And it's gonna ensure that a game sticks around. That is why games such as Pandemic have stayed around so long. Two people can play Pandemic, and it still feel as fun as four because of the way the game functions. And it's always going to be that way. Pandemic will never lose that appeal of, oh, it's just me and you. Oh, that's fine. The game's still good. Oh, there's four of us. Oh, that's fine. The game's still good. And it's always going to be that way because it scales in a way that works. And I think that that is, as I said, an essential thing that designers need to start putting more time into. But, you know, there are always going to be games that don't scale well, whether it's lack of design, poor design, or lack of care. I kind of wish designers would go, okay, I built this for four players, that's it. Because then you know, I want to play this, but I can only play it with four. See, I wouldn't like that at all. I would hope that designers at least make it to where two people can play, maybe three people can play. I wouldn't like just having a game, you can play this with four players, you can play this with three players only, because... When are, frankly, when are you going to get three people to play? I mean, we often have Brian to play or Allison to play, but a lot of times you're playing with maybe two or three other friends or another couple or something like that. And so if it's just made for a certain number of games or a certain number of players, then where's the fun in that if your game group sometimes changes from week to week? But you also have to think about this. You say that, but how many two-player only games do we have? And how many friends go, I want to play that. Oh, it's two player. Oh, well, never mind. I guess we'll pick something everyone can play. It's the same thing, except we really want a lot of two player games is the only difference because we play two player more often. But imagine how many people only ever play four and never get to play two player games. So they only would want four player games. You know what I mean? I feel like it would balance out. I still feel like two player games can have other options as well that is they can and two-player games i find to be more important because i think there are enough just buddies playing games or couples playing games you know or whatever or families or anything that are just two people i feel like that is never going to go away but i do think that if a game company said look we built this game at three players we couldn't get it quite right at two we couldn't get it quite right at four we're just going to keep it three we'll try to come out with a variant later I would kind of go for that. If they said we built this at three with only three in mind and we made it as effective and as good as possible at three players, 
but in doing so, we limited the amount of players to just three. I mean, I would totally give it a shot because what if it's just phenomenal because they didn't try to make it where it had to balance, you know? I get mad because you buy a three-player only game, so I refuse to play, and you're like, well, crap, now I just have one more player to play with. I'll just go to Mac and Cass's house and be like, hey, guys, play with me. Haley hates me now. Don't leave me. That's exactly what would happen. I would go over there and then be like, okay, let's play games. Yay. I'm just sitting here by myself playing Scythe, and then we're like, where's Delton to help me with this rule? I don't understand it. <laughs> You'd have to read the rule book for once. Oh. Boo. <laughs> That's the thing is, I don't like to read the rules. Delton's so good at explaining. If you if you notice, every time we have a podcast, Delton explains the game because he explains it so well. I suck at it. I tried before, and I just like got off topic, and it didn't make sense, and then everybody hated me, and I had to leave the country. Well, no, but sometimes I don't. I feel like in this episode, I didn't explain the greatest, but I also wasn't trying to go into detail because it really is as simple as you pick a spot you want to go, you put some people on the board, you plant some vines, harvest your grapes, squish your grapes, make wines and make and sell orders. And that's a gist of the game. But I'm also not teaching teaching the game. I'm just kind of talking over it. Speaking of wine, what's our question for the day? And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. Today's question is not anything crazy like we have had lately. It is simply, if you could make any wine, what would it be? A Riesling, because it tastes like a Granny Smith apple, and because you can only use the grapes from the Rhine River in Germany in order to make the wine. So Haley took a wine tasting class, and now she thinks that she is the sommelier. Isn't that what they're called? I don't know. The wine tasting people? All I know is I made an A, mostly because I helped pour the wine. And then you just took wine home, and that's it. Well, what happened was, it sounds like I'm stealing it, but I'm not. What happened was uh, I lived about a mile off of campus in college, and the wine tasting class was an evening class. So my last class for the daytime would end about 4.30, but the wine tasting class didn't start until 6. So I would just go to the class early, and so I got there before the professor did. professor would open the doors, and he'd ask me to help him pour the wine. And so I'd help pour, you know, 115 glasses of wine and pass them out, and then he would reward me with a bottle of wine almost every single Wednesday. It was great. I made an A in that class. I didn't learn anything. I made a lot of stuff up. So they would, he would go around the class and ask you, you know, what do you taste in wine? You could spit out the wine if you wanted to, but frankly, we're all college students, so we just drank the wine as we were talking about it. But he would say, okay, what do you taste? What do you taste? And someone would be like, oh, I taste in this Merlot. I taste charcoal. And cinnamon. He's like, oh, great. And it got to me and I was like, I taste pepper and sunflower. Oh, that's wonderful. Made it up. Completely made it up. <laughs> made it up the entire semester. Had no idea what I was doing. Made an A plus in the class. That is how you do bullshitting in a class. That right there. <laughs> I, I tasted it, I think. I just, the first thing that came to mind, hmm. Tastes like smoky cheddar. Here, try it. Try it with the mead. See what you get from the strawberry yeah, mead. We have to cheers first. A metallic peach. You getting metallic in there? Oh, yeah. I get a lot of metallic. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because this is the worst of the three, and the <laughs> strawberries re-fermenting really didn't do a good thing for it. See how I convinced you just now that it was metallic peach? Well, I think I was trying to figure out what that flavor was. I didn't like in it, and metallic kind of makes sense. 
Not, <laughs> not the peach part, just the metallic part. Now you see how I made an A-plus in wine tasting class. That's fine. So you've got your Riesling from the Rhine Valley? Rhine River Valley? Yes. All right. Or along the Rhine River. Along the Rhine, okay. Mine would totally be a mead because I'm not a wine fan, unless it's in a board game, but I love a good mead. So when it comes to meads, there's another clink in a drink. So when it comes to meads, I am a person that prefers orange blossom honey. That's my favorite so far. So I like to use a lot of orange blossom honey. I use about four pounds of honey per gallon of water or per gallon of liquid total. So it's four pounds of honey, and then you add water to make that entire volume to a gallon. So that is the ratio. So for a five-gallon batch of mead, I do 20 pounds of honey. I really like that because strong meads that are also very sweet tend to be called a sack mead. And I really like those. They're stronger, but they're still sweet. They don't have as much bite to them. They're not super dry, even though I do like a good dry mead as well. I would say orange blossom honey. I would use that sweet mead yeast that I've been using that comes out about 13, 14%. Keeps it nice and sweet as well from White Labs. And then I really loved the mulberries. The mulberries had a tartness to them, but also a little extra sweet, and they were so good. We have to make that again soon. I'm so sorry, Lack. We owe you mulberry mead. Lack has a mulberry tree in his backyard, and he just says, come pick some. And so we just spent 30 minutes picking as many as we could grab off the limbs and off the ground that were still good. And we throw them in the freezer. Always, always, if you go to make wine, please freeze the berries. Do not use them fresh, 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 because freezing them will kill any bacteria and also wash them off before you freeze them. But freezing them helps really well, and when you put them in the mead, it's something about being frozen. I cannot remember the full detail, but it's helpful. Makes it cold. <laughs> yes, well, anyway. It's, Science. It's really, really, really good. So I would say a mulberry orange blossom mead, just like last time, because that was just delicious. We have one bottle left, and I'm afraid to drink it. And I have one of the blueberry. Ugh. To the last of the mead. To the last of this two-year-old mead. Oh, there's some sediment in that one. Oh. Yeah, just... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> anyway, that was the worst of them. So the strawberry got a lot of sediment in the bottom of the container. And even though I tried to filter it best I could, it was... Uh, oh, what is it called? Where it's floating inside of it. Suspended. There was a lot of sediment suspended into the mead, and it finally started to settle out. And then when you pour it, it just kind of kicks up and... Ugh, bad decision. I didn't have a coffee filter to filter it well either. I had to use a paper towel. First world problems. Yeah, kind of white trash, but it's okay. Well, I think that's it for episode 12 of the Malthouse Games podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. If you would please like, share, subscribe. If you could go to iTunes and give us a five-star awesome rating, would actually help us out a lot. Right now, we've only got four, and we've had those same four since, like, January. So I would appreciate some reviews. If you guys could hit us up on social media, Across all social media, it is at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can also email us, contact at malthousegames.com. If you listened to episode 10 with Allison, we requested a drawing of what you think she looks like based on what she sounds like. You have to use Microsoft Paint or something just as primitive. We also, in episode 6 and episode 10 and episode 11, requested one of Brian because we have had Nobody send us these. I will put it on the Twitter page if I get some sort of image 
of who you, what you think those two people, Allison and Brian, look like. You'll be famous. So email them to me, contact at malthousegames.com. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, and you can find Haley at... S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. So thank you guys for listening again. Please contact us, hit us up, interact with us a little bit. We're getting kind of bored. Idle hands do the devil's work, and we both have two. Exactly. But until next time, sit back, relax, have a drink, and play some games. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.